Desk of Lady Ada. Hey everybody, and uh, welcome to the Desk of Lady Ada. It's me, Lady Ada, with me, Mr. Lady Ada. Hello. We're here at Hacker O'Clock, here in the Adafruit home headquarters. That's right. Uh, we're, we're doing some electronics and uh, you know, getting some stuff done in preparation for the week. Big week ahead, like every single week. we got a bunch of product coming out and more. This week, all, all our shows are in effect. Uh, the only difference this week is, uh, I think JP's doing show and tell this week. Yes, he's on. All right. So, okay. uh, Lady Ada, what is on your desk? Well, I've week? got a lot of new products. I thought I would just show them off because yeah. I got the testers done. So, yeah. let's start with, uh, let's go to the overhead and I can show off some of these testers. Hold on. Get everything all nice and set up. Um, so this is, um, you know, all of our TFTs. We have a lot of TFTs in the, uh, hold on. One second. Okay. We have a lot of TFTs in the, um, the Adafruit shop. And, um, you know, I've been trying to come up with like a new way of connecting to TFTs that's a little bit like STEM IQT, except for instead of I squared seats for SPI. And um, I like DF Robot's little um, flex connector. It's a good idea because you can't do it with a, with a JST, you know, even an SH connector. It's just the pitch isn't fine enough um, to, for all the pins because for stuff like e-ink displays, you need like SPI and you need, you know, a bunch of chip selects. And um, for some screens, there's a touch screen and there's an I squared C touch and there's like a SPI touch. So, you know, it's like basically you need like 18 um, 16 to 18 GPIO to, to control um, any TFT display. And we do a lot of TFT displays. So um, this is the, I think I've shown off this kind of round racked 1.47 inch uh, TFT display before. Um, so we made the breakout for it. And um, we added, you know, in addition to the SD card slot and the normal breakout, we also have the little iSpy connector, which means, um, you know, we can uh, flip this up uh, to easily attach a, a flex connector so that people who want to have the screen separate from the board, you know, you don't have to like wire or solder together a whole bunch of uh, connections. And then it also makes testing really easy because we have like one tester um, and it's the same flex connector uh, for each time because it's the flex connector is standardized. So, you know, there's this 1.47 inch one and then um, it's big sister, which is this uh, 1.9 inch screen, same resolution actually, pretty much, but uh, a, a larger, physically larger screen. And this one, it um, it has a flex connector too, so it's kind of you know kind of constrained where you could put um, the uh, iSpy contact. So I put it up on the side here. And this one, same basic idea, you know it. may not have the right SD card file on here. No, that's okay. Um, same idea, you know, it displays a, an image and then it pulses the backlight. So, you know, this tests everything. You've now tested um, the SPI port, you've tested the TFT, you've tested the SD card, uh, you've tested sending data from the SD card to the TFT and you're testing um, the backlight by pulsing it. So it's a you know, very easy way to, um, to tell that the backlight PWM is working. So, you know, this is kind of fun because it's like, I think it's an easy, I think it's actually make testing a little easier because you don't have to hold down the screen. You can just, you just put this, you know, flip top connector 
and I love these uh, flip tops. Um, they're so much easier and less likely to break than um, pull out style where it's um, you, uh, top contact. So I like bottom contact FPCs as much as possible. So I was, you know, like having everything be bottom contact, I found less likelihood of the little ears snapping off, which is always kind of sad. All right, so that's those displays. Um, also did a revision on, um, so this is a uh, new time of flight sensor from ST uh, that just got released and I, I, I got a real, um, I want this lock. It used to lock. No, it doesn't lock. Um, this is uh, the VL53L4 CD. Um, there's like the VL53L1, 53VL53L0. They did the VL53L5, and then they kind of backed it off and did the 4. And the 4 is, um, like the other time of flight sensors, it uses a laser and it, it measures the, the, the picosecond refraction um, off of a target. Um, for this one, it has less range. Instead of four meters, it only does like a meter and a quarter, but it can do um, much closer readings. So the other ones like to have at least 10 um, millimeters to, to do the readings. Um, this one is actually happy to do as, as little as one millimeter. So it's really good for like ultra close-up um, ranges. Do you know, Phil, do you know why this isn't locking anymore? No. Okay, well, we'll get another one. I think maybe... We can upgrade. It does, and then it stops. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so that's that. I think it might be time to upgrade the overhead setup anyways. This because is Because the chips are getting smaller. Yeah. And our screens are getting bigger. I so do I like think, the new one. The new one's kind of nice. Yeah, we use that at, uh, on the Ask an Engineer setup. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that's, uh, that's going to be on our list of things to, we'll uh, to get. Okay. So that's these testers. And then the last tester I worked on um, this week is... Uh, this is ESP32S2, but it's not. It's the um, the Pico ESP32. Um, so these PCBs are coming in. Um, I had to fix a like a couple of little things, and then it was you know Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, so uh, PCBs were really delayed. But they're coming in, and so the the Pico ESP32 is going to get made. And I'm using um, a Raspberry Pi to do the test procedure. Um, I like using a Raspberry Pi for ESP32 because I can run ESP tool and you know we do have ESP tool on a microcontroller like I have written that so it's like you can use a microcontroller to program an ESP32. The problem though is it doesn't use the, um, I didn't port over the stub loader which is like this compressed way of compressing the, the firmware before uploading and so even though it's like it's slower to use a Raspberry Pi than um, a microcontroller. It's faster because if, if the code you're uploading is big enough and I don't compress it, and especially with this where you're limited, it's like the flash write speed is limited by like the baud rate a little bit. Uh, turns out that using um, a Raspberry Pi works quite well. So this fits in here. And then, you know, it's got a little thing. It says press the button. Yeah, we're gonna have a video of this. Yeah, video, going up but soon. it um, it uploads the test code, and you can see kind of at the bottom here, it's it's uploading. To, uh, and then it tests all the pins, and then it tests the um, the Wi-Fi signal to make sure that the Wi-Fi signal is good, and if it passes, you get this green text. So 17 seconds for tests, that's pretty good, and then when it's done, 
Um, the program I load also does a little rainbow swirl and it does a Wi-Fi scan. So it's like a nice little like ready to go off out of the box um, uh, test for the, the ESP32 Cutie Pie. So that'll be cool. And I love that this chip has PS RAM as well as eight megabytes of flash. It's like, it's, it's gonna be like the smallest but most powerful ESP32. And um, I think, you know, it's like I showed you can run Doom on it, but I think it can do a lot of other stuff too. Great for IoT. All right, so I think on the previous thing that you showed, what's the precision of it? For the distance sensor? Yeah, must I don't that. remember. It's like one millimeter or something. That's good. Okay, cool. And then uh, lastly, um, so it's the stuff I've been working on. i got a couple more things. Oh, I've got this um, camera module. So um, doing some, getting back to some camera stuff, and uh, there's these off-the-shelf camera breakouts, and I wanted one for my own because I wanted to experiment with different cameras, but also I didn't, there's a couple things about off-the-shelf um, camera boards that I didn't super like. They look like um, uh, Do you want to answer like a question about the Cutie Pie SP32 now or after this? Uh, no, it's fine. Okay. Um, will the Cutie Pie ESP32 have a GPIO pin to turn off quick for sleep, ultra low power? It can do ultra low power, but you can, you can disconnect everything. And I think I got down to like 55 microamperes. Um, I do have a graph that I measured, but you can turn off the NeoPixel and go into deep sleep. And that's, you know, that's as deep as it's going to get. Okay, cool. All right, so okay. camera boards. Um, so one thing I don't like about the camera boards is they always come soldered with straight headers, and so like you can't do right angles. That was a little annoying. And second, um, there are some cameras that have autofocus, but you need to connect to pin two, and like on these boards, they don't break out pin two. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to design my own. And I also made it so you can plug it into a breadboard, which is another like nitpick for me. I was, this is the, uh, if people remember, I was working on the um, autofocus cameras. This is an autofocus camera. Um, so this will work with any like OV module, um, including the autofocus type. Um, the pinout, thankfully, like e-inks, is totally standardized. Um, and uh, to test it, I'm actually, can you go to the computer? I'm running this demo that is, um, it's quite nice. It actually comes with the ESP32, it's called Camera Web Server. And what's nice is it like auto detects what camera chipset, whether it's the OV2640 or 5640 or whatever, like there's OV766 or something. And it will, um, so this is a, a live stream web server. And you can also go, maybe get a little bit bigger. Uh, it'll be a little slower, so you can you can see I'm like testing, you know. Yeah. If I, I can like I can like point it and like Phil, hey, so eh. it's behind the scenes, you can point Hi. It at me. Hi. Um, so it's a really good way of quickly testing um, that everything works and uh, the quality of the camera and you know there's no there's no weird color artifacts or jitter, so I know that I'm I'm good to go. Um, so this board also got sent out. Oh, I also have an external um, clock generator and and I put like big holes on the back for heat sinking because these camera chips actually get a little bit warm um, especially as you're streaming a lot of data very quickly and you can do um, you can do other effects and so you can change the exposure to all the way down to all the way up so it's like really overexposed and then um, you can do sepia tint negative it's kind of cool hey or negative land um, so good stuff for, for testing this camera module. So the camera module breakouts ready to go. So that's cool. Just doing that. 
right. unplug this. And then finally, um, we've, we did pretty much everything we're going to do with floppy stuff on the Shugart drives. So we got like Mac stuff working, we got five and a quarter inch drives working, three and a half inch drives, we got the floppy drives from the laptops working. So like kind of everything like, you know, you, you can spend forever trying everything, but we pretty much did a proof of concept and then Jepler also did like streaming mode so we can like stream data directly from disk. Um, so all, all good things. Um, so the next step is we want to um, extend it to now um, support Apple two disk drives. So I got this Apple two drive and I put it in a clear case. So we can go to the overhead real fast. So this is, this is, so this is an Apple two drive. You can see, but we removed the metal case and replaced it with this clear case, which is kind of neat. You can actually see the, so this is a diskette here. So this is the slot. You can see the diskette coming in here. And what's interesting about Apple II drives is they're actually the same Shugart mechanism as five and a quarter. It's just five and a quarter disc, but they basically removed um, a lot of the stuff that basically took a move to reduce costs. So like some things like on the Shugart drive, the interface lets you set the direction and then step in and out. And there's also like, you know, uh, so there's like a stepper motor controller. On the Apple II, you do that by hand. You actually have to like manually control the four phases of the stepper motor to move um, the head back and forth through the tracks. And that's also can be used for like some hacky things like you can you can write while moving. So like in um, on the Shugart drive, you can't I don't believe you can step while writing. I think like once you're writing, you're like writing and like the drive will not will not do anything else while it's writing. But on the Apple II, since you have control of the stepper motors, you can like start writing data those flux pulses and you can like spiral the track out if you so wished. Um, just kind of interesting and neat. But the good news is that like other than the stepper motor stuff and lack of an index pulse, the concept is still the same. You've got these flux pulses, you read them, you write them. They're GCR, like similar to the Mac 400, 800K. Um, you know, there's, the, there's very similar signals. Um, there's just this new analog board that does some different stuff. And the power supply is a little different. Uh, and so that's actually going to be the great search. All right. Is, is there any questions before we... Yeah, uh, let's do a couple questions and then we'll bounce over. Yeah. Um, some folks want to know about some button box tutorials. I said check out learn.adafruit.com. Same thing with robotics. Uh, what is a small monitor that you use? Does it house the Pi also? Oh, that's the Pi TFT. Okay. Yes, we sell, uh, we sell that. That's the... All right. Adam. Someone was watching a YouTuber the other day, and the person says, uh, "Why doesn't CircuitPython support email?" Um, it it's Python. It does. You could, you could add email. I, I mean, we have the reason we don't do. There's no email clients. Email has changed a lot in how you send and receive it. Like it used to be, you could just like talent to a port twenty five and send. Yeah. And now there's a lot more to to reduce spam. It's just a little more complicated. Um, so we don't. We don't really have a, a built-in mail client or writer. Yeah. Because isn't how it used to be. Python, Believe me, it used so to be really easy. Yeah, let me I, I have an old Apple, I have an old Arduino demo that used to do it. You just connect to port 25, say hello, Yeah. you know, send mail. But you can't, you can't really do that anymore. Just like you can't really red box anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you can, yeah, you can <laughs> find away. some libraries out there and probably port them over. But yeah. Anyways, um, Hang out in our Discord and um, 
let us know what you would do with it and also and to post up in our forms because it'd be interesting to see maybe there's something we do with adafruit iota yeah help out with um some of the stuff you have to like auth- authenticate it's just yeah. it gets going very complex you know twitter used to be very simple too you could just like search can't do it anymore you can't do it you have to um, authenticate and you have to use oauth and it's like camera question uh do you plan on making a board with the camera to plug in to the headers and then a mica controller and other pins so plug and play yeah, I think so. I mean, like, there's also the Kaluga board I showed you um, yeah. that uh, has a lot of boards that can do camera, have a little camera port, and there's a standardized pinout. Okay, where can I get a side push button like the reset button on the D1 Mini compatible with KiCad? I don't even know what the D1 Mini is. Yeah, okay. We've done All some right. great searches on right angle switches. Let's do the great search. Okay. Every single week, Lady to user powers engineering to help you find what you're looking for or things that you don't even know you're looking for yet on digikey.com. Lady what is the great search of the week this week? Okay, so this week I'm going to be interfacing to this Apple II disk drive, which is in a beautiful, clear enclosure. That's cool. Um, and the Apple II disk drive has a slightly different uh, control mechanism for how you um, control the drive and read and write from it. And it has this analog board. And the analog board um, has, hold on. Yes, you won't go to my computer so I can show the schematics. This is the schematic for the analog board, the disk interface. And you'll see it has um, a negative 12 volt power supply. So it has plus 12, uh, there's VCC, which is five volts and negative 12. Um, And that's a little unusual. I mean, at the time it wasn't unusual because uh, transformer-based power supply is really easy to split the tap and then you can generate a negative voltage. But with digital electronics, we don't tend to have negative power supply rails really as much. Um, so the good news is that, you know, most disk drives that I'm used to working with, so here's the, the five volt supply. You know, the five volt supply and the 10 volt supply are used for logic and there's a stepper motor, probably that's the 12 volt. And then there's a spinning motor, probably either 12 volt or five volt. So the 12 volt and five volt supplies um, are high current. They're going to be like an amp or two because you're going to drive a motor with them and um, a lot of these logic chips. The um, negative 12 volt supply, however, let me find it, is used for a bias. Hold on. I have like 500 images and they're all blurry. Okay. So this is where the negative uh, 12 volt supply is. It's right here. And it's used as part of this analog circuitry, which um, filters uh, the pulses or like biases the the read head. I'm actually not 100% sure. I have to look up what the MC3470 does. But this is the only place that the negative 12 volt appears. So, you know, the the potentiometer R28, and um, you know, I looked on this, boards look at R28 and R28 is not it looks like you know you you tweak and adjust it to set uh uh the it looks like the 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 jitter adjust the jitter for um the analog board so here this is the the tech instructions for this board and they say okay you know look at this uh trigger pulse I guess this is maybe the bias for the trigger um where where like you know it it uh it, uh, there's some timer and then it like reads the timer and it uses the pulses to like generate the pulse train or synchronize with the pulse train that comes out of the diskette. 
Um, so there's a potentiometer that you have to adjust. So you do need to give it that negative 12 volts, um, especially, you know, you'll get weird results. If not, maybe you'll not get some, some good reading results. Um, you might get errors on right. So you do want to have a negative voltage and you want to have that voltage at least be um, consistent. So we have to generate a negative 12 volts. And again, for digital electronics, you know, it's, we've done boost converters and we've done linear regulators. So you can like kind of move up and you can move down and you can use buck converters. But now I want an inverter. And um, I'm extremely lazy about this inverter because it's not a power supply. It's like a bias supply. I don't need an amp of negative 12 volts. If I did, I would actually probably get a custom power supply to do that um, or, or put in a big, um, you know, boost converter, buck converter that does inversion. If I only need, you know, a couple milliamps, because it's a 10K uh, potentiometer, I'm going to look for a charge pump inverter. And charge pump inverters, um, the reason I'm a fan of them is because uh, if you remember your Max 232, um, you know, this is a, a kind of a famous part, not, not used as much anymore, but was um, famous for if you had an RS-232 interface, which all electronics used to, you would use this and it would convert your five volt logic or there's a version for three volt logic and it would do this neat thing where it, it, it was like, hey, since it's not a power supply that you need negative 10 and plus 10, but you just need it for biasing, for signaling, not for powering, it would, uh, there was a built-in charge cap. You would put some, you know, one microfarad caps on the outside. It would convert the five volt to 10 volt and then do an inverter to get you 10 volt to negative volt. So one, I could probably get away with using a max 232, but I kind of want to not cheat and use a, a chip that isn't designed for it. Uh, and second, I might actually need negative 12. Uh, I want it to maybe be perfectly balanced. So, um, so this was actually kind of interesting because uh, I wasn't actually sure how to find this because you know it's it's a it's a weird part. Um, but I think I searched for um, it's under regulators, so it's a, it's considered a DC DC switching regulator, and um, it's actually called ratiometric, which makes sense because you're not regulating it; you're just flipping it over. Um, so let's look for active, uh, ratio metric or inverted, because you can also get um, inductor-based uh, converters. We want only one output, um, and we want to make sure it can give you negative. Hold on, positive or negative? Well, I'll just say positive and negative, and voltage input max. Wait, I messed something up. Let me start over. This got, this was very confusing. So, hold on. I want, right, so I want uh, negative. I'm gonna have to go back from the part that I found and then, and then uh, go backwards. So positive or negative, one output. Voltage input max. Okay, so for voltage input max, because I want to generate 12 volts, I need it to be able to take at least 12 volts. So I'm going to select all of these. And let's see what I get. And then I don't care about adjustable or fixed because I can, I can tweak that. 
And yeah, I got a bunch of these parts and then I did surface mount only because it turns out those are a lot of through-hole parts. And a lot of things were out of stock. So the first thing I found was there is um, this very popular part that's been used for a very long time called the IC ISL or ICL 766X. And there were quite a few of these. Um, and these are ancient. Um, these, these have been made since the beginning of time. Um, so you can use this part most likely. Um, and there's, there comes in a, like a lot of different uh, manufacturers. It's kind of a jelly bean part. So if you search for, let me open up a new page. You look for ICL 766 to get all the, um, all the alternatives under the switching regulators. Yeah, you'll see. So this was made by like Analog Maxim, by Harris, by Renaissance. So lots of lots of different lots of different options um, came in DIP and also SMT. So this is one uh, version. There's also the 7662. So there was this whole family. However, I wanted um, another alternative because this was a little bit of an older chip, and and there were a couple available. Um, but it's sort of, I was like a little, I was a little anxious about it. So the other one I found actually was the um, TC1044. And this actually, there's also the TC1054. One second. 1054. Is this under linear regulators? Hold on. Let me look at my history. This was, sorry, the LT 1054. Okay, so the um, LT 1054 was a different charge pump inverter. Uh, so this was available from TI and Analog. And um, the good news is this one was a little bit less expensive, but it came in a um, 16 SOIC. So it's much, much larger, but it's a much more modern chip. And the pricing was pretty good. It's basically like a dollar fifty or so, um, and it can do either doubling or or negative. So it's kind of got this like weird voltage output negative V in or or two V in. Um, but the good news is that it could take up to fifteen volts input. So this was actually what I ended up um, picking for. I th what I think I'm going to use. Um, I'm going to get some of the samples of the ICL seven six six zero, but. One thing that's interesting about that part is it's so old that it actually started getting more expensive um, than the modern part. Like usually you think like, oh, an old part like, um, you know, uh, uh, TL, you know, TL074 or something, so, you know, some op amp. If it's like a couple decades old, it'll be really inexpensive because it's made so much. But one thing I've noticed is like during the silicon shortage, sometimes there's this like weird, like it's it's like a, there's like a dip where it's like very new parts are very expensive because you can't get them. And very, very old parts are very expensive too because they're like not really made anymore. And so the people who need them are like desperate to not, like, you know, you have some like mil spec design and you're not gonna change this component. You absolutely need to use this component for the rest of your know, human history. Um, so you're desperate to get it. So there's like this nice middle ground where you're actually gonna get better pricing on parts that are like 
about five to 10 years old. So um, even though this is a more modern part, it actually ended up being less expensive than um, the ICL, which was like, for some reason, like $5, you know, for this, this like multi-decade old component. So the, the ICL uh, probably works really, really well, but I think I'm probably going to go with the LT1054. And I also learned a little bit about um, product history and pricing, I think, along the way. But what's actually kind of fascinating is there's, there's a lot of boost converter, like the charge pump inverters for 5 volts. But once you get to 12 volts, it's actually kind of a little, it's a little rarer. Um, but this one should absolutely do the job quite nicely. And uh, I'll pick it up. And it's, it's a bit chunky at 16 SOIC, but sizing is not as important. Um, there's also a Maxim part that I saw that goes up to uh, plus or minus 40 volts in a TDFN. Much more expensive, but if you need to generate like a negative 60 volt bias, um, the Maxim part will do the job as well. And that is the Great Church. Okay, so uh, a couple questions, and then we'll bounce. Yeah. Uh, literally, um, with all the fabulous Stemma QT stuff going on, any plans to respin the Circuit Playground Express or blue fruit with a Stemma QT connector? Um, I'm not planning to respin it. Honestly, there's really no room on that board, um, and I I'm having enough difficulty getting parts. However, um, it's really easy to connect Stemma QT with our alligator clip uh, plugs. You know, I think. Um, Another thing about this the STEMI QT connector is is I'll say it's for very young kids. They I feel like it's a little too small for them. Um, I think there there could be a chance that they'd break it. I think that'd be such yeah. a bummer. So I I just recommend using alligator clip. We have an alligator clip to STEMI adapter cable, and that way you know there's no risk of breaking the connector on the board. Maybe we should make that a stacky on the product page or. Um or just uh, do a guide specifically about that adding stemma. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that because uh, I forgot about it too. Yeah. No, I have like every combo cable on purpose. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it for. Um... Do you ever want to see my beautiful clear Apple II disc somewhere? Yeah. That's nice. All right, and then uh, we did this like uh, parody thing. So this is um, this is a QR code that's like the DVD bounce thing. And the reason we did that, there was a Super Bowl commercial that um, that's doing this too. This just takes you to Adafruit.com, but just a little bit of like a security thing. So you know, if um, this Super Bowl is going to mark the beginning of everyone just taking out their phone, scanning a QR code, and just kind of doing stuff. Just be really careful, especially yeah, especially with folks who aren't um, so savvy with this stuff. Um, it's kind of an interesting security flaw that I don't think anyone's thought of, is what happens if a Super Bowl commercial is only a QR code. So on one hand, um, you know, we get dunked on for even talking about anything ever, but I also think we're here to educate and, and help. And so while this is funny and this is you know, Adafruit.com, uh, and it's safe, and Adafruit.com is safe. Um, you know, maybe other things aren't. So uh, just be careful with this stuff, especially when you're enticed to uh, give a lot of personal information for, you know, 25 not real dollars. Okay, that's it. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks, everybody.